This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Who am I? Who am I really? I don't mean me. I mean you. <laughs> that question. Who am I? Who am I really? I mean, if someone were to actually have you explain who you are, and you had to explain who you are, do you realize how stuck you would be? If you had to explain, someone says, I want you to explain to me who you are. What would you do? What would you do? What would you say? I mean, I'm, I'm a man, or I'm a woman, or I'm a, I, I live here. I'm from Muncie. <laughs> okay. That's who you are? Well, actually, I'm, I'm originally from Borough Park. Oh, okay, now it's all coming clear. Now I know who you are. Well, I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a businessman. I'm a... I'm a... I'm an Akeris Habayis. I'm a father. I'm a mother. I'm a Zaydin. Really? That's who you are? Well, I'm very smart. Listen, that's who you are. You're smart. No matter what you would say, it would not be who you are. There's nothing you could say. Because deep down, all of us are really no one. All we really are is our consciousness. That's in this room right now listening to me, right? Who else could you be? The real I in who I am, meaning the real you in who you are, that real Nikuda, uh, how do you call it? Called Nikuda Satsmis. The self-identity, that self, that who you are, is really your conscious state of being in this room right now. And it's here, 100%. Could never be described. What you do for a living would have basically nothing to do with it. I hope what it, a hint at it, that you're not completely in the wrong line of work. And the fact that you've created progeny, children, does not necessarily make you who you are. In fact, it doesn't. Because in the end, you are who you are. And you can be an Alta Zadie on the way to a bris. And it's so clear when you walk in the room that who you are, except for you. Because <laughs> you are just consciousness walking towards being Sandik at the bris. And you're just conscious. Because that's all you are and all you and that's who you've been. Now that consciousness comes without concept. Because anything else you would describe about who you are would be a concept of who you are. Like for example, saying, Well, you know, who I am is well, I'm from Muncie. Or I'm from Lakewood. Which says what? Nothing about who you are. So whatever you would describe about who you are would not be who you are at all. 
because who you are is pure consciousness. Your presence right here in this room is who you are. And if I put you in an MRI machine, that's like a Cadillac of x-rays. An MRI is fan- I don't have to explain to Americans what an MRI is, but are, would we find you in there, meaning on the screen that shows the MRI of your body, would we find you there? The answer is no. We would find skin, muscles, bones, cartilage. You wouldn't be there. In other words, there's no eye in the MRI. You can't find the eye in the MRI. So who you are in the end is just the consciousness. Well, what's the consciousness? What is this consciousness that you know you're in this hotel, Stanford, Connecticut, on whatever this day is? All I know is it's getting close to Lagba Emer and it's Hoj Shimanetza. <laughs> That's the best I could do for what day this is. But, the, but whatever day this is, that stuff you know. And that you're conscious in this room right here on this day at this moment. But where is it coming from? Where does your consciousness come from? Everything comes from somewhere. Everything. These light bulbs came from a store which came from a factory. This cloth came from a store which came from a factory which came originally from whatever it's made of. Everything's from something. Our body is coming from somewhere. So what we're going to say the consciousness that does not show up in the body and will not show up in an MRI, well, that also has to come from somewhere. Where does it come from? What is that consciousness? And the answer is that the consciousness that you have right here in this room is your nishama. That is the nishama. Now, what I'm saying is one of the simplest things in the world, but I think we miss it a lot of the time. Sadly, we miss it. Is that who you are is your neshuma? That that's actually who you are. We miss it all the time. I have people come up to me and say, in Yerushalayim, you know, like teens and stuff, and older still, saying, how do I know I have a soul? How do I know I have a soul? And I look at them and I'm like, who is the I in your sentence? You already said it twice. How do I know that I have a soul? Who is that I, if not the soul? And so the I, the actual consciousness that you are, is your neshama. And it's chelakalakamimal. And where you come from, where that consciousness comes from, is directly from Hashem. How do you discover your potential? How do you discover your potential? Well, the first thing in discovering your potential is realizing that the neshama that you are has been covered up with descriptions. And so the potential has a klipa on it. The potential is covered up. And that cover-up of your potential, that cover-up of the true I that is you, is descriptive. And there's descriptions that you let the world know, and there's descriptions you don't let the world know. Secret descriptions. In fact, for all the people sitting in this room right now, which I imagine is probably a little over 100 
plus, maybe 150. Every single one of us has descriptions of ourselves that we would never, ever tell anybody. Very limiting, not enough, like not enough types of words and descriptions about ourselves. Limiting thoughts. Not enough. Maybe not smart enough, not good looking enough, not thin enough, not uh, capable, not worthy enough, not strong enough. And so what happens is our potential is covered up by those descriptions. Oh, thank you so much. So what happens is our potential, meaning the neshuma, which is like a nuclear power plant, meaning if I could take two jumper cables and somehow hook them up to your neshuma, we would power not just this hotel, we would power all of Stanford, Connecticut, off your potential. And don't we all hear stories of like some kid who like, you know, there's these stories go viral about, you know, some kid who like just became like the champion of some important cause. And we see like he's got like, he's got like major political leaders like, like actually earmarking money towards the cause. And, and like once in a while you get, and this kid has no capabilities. It's a kid, but it's a kid with a dream. And for some reason, somehow this kid got raised and certain, somehow like perfectly danced between the raindrops of all the situations that would have made him or her feel small. And are we ourselves creating smallness in our children? I mean, don't we all so deeply not want to get a phone call home from our school administrators? You know, that our kids should fit in. Should be a good Ingele, a good Maila. But sometimes being a good Ingele and a good Maila means to be quiet, to fit in. And so deep down, there's like, if we asked a two-year-old about his or her yearning in this world and what kind of world they would make from it, when they still had dreams, they would probably come up with some amazing dreams about their lives in this world. But the problem is, is those dreams created dust. And imagine like, Imagine the child with like, you know, a beautiful child, but then the sand blowing over the child. And now it's just the shape of the child with sand. And then it blows more sand and more sand. And now it's just a lump. And then more sand and more sand. And after a while, it just looks like a sand dune, like a sandy hill. Because you want to know something? Most people I ask, whether they're frum, whether they're secular, fry. And I ask them, what is their dream? What is the difference they want to make? What is their special contribution in this world? 
almost no one can answer me. They don't know. If you had asked them when they were little toddlers, they knew. But for most of us, it became too painful to know. Because there's nothing more painful than knowing your potential, not fulfilling it. And so it's better just to let it drift away. I've worked in outreach, um, speaking to uh, Jews who are not raised observant for the last uh, almost three decades now, and Baruch uh, Hashem, tens of thousands of, of Yidin through my teaching and the teaching of my colleagues at Asia Torah, many, 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 many tens of thousands of Balei Tshuva from our work. And I want to share with you the secret of how I did that. Every time it was my job to do that. And my secret was, I always held that person, meaning this secular guy, I always held this secular guy to be holy, special, amazing, way before they were from. Now, I don't know what the guy does on Shabbos. But once in a while, I'd run into one of my students on Shabbos and see him smoking a cigarette. <laughs> I would look at him like, you out of your mind? It's Shabbos. And he looks at me and he's like, Yom Tov. I don't, Rabbi Yom Tov, I don't keep Shabbos. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And he's like, Rabbi, you always think I'm so holy. I'm not so holy. It's rare I have those conversations, but that has been my secret all the years, is treating each person so holy. And then I hold that holiness for them. And you want to know something? They feel better with me than they do, even with their own families. Because their families don't hold holy for them. I hold holy for them. And I hold amazing for you. And I hold awesome for you. Because that's the truth. The truth is you are awesome. You are amazing. You are a nuclear power plant of possibility. Covered up by descriptions. Most of those descriptions, you would never let anyone in this room know. In fact, could you imagine if the descriptions you had about yourself somehow started getting like broadcast off your head, walking down the street in your neighborhood like you had two megaphones? all your self-descriptions. And I'd like to share with you just a little word right now about, about when we look at others in a negative light. Think about it. Think about it. When you're a soul, you look at everybody as souls. But when you are those descriptions, so you're automatically now put in measure to everybody else. With your descriptions, you automatically have less or more than anyone you'll ever meet. Anyone with more than you, you must knock down somehow. You got it. You may not say it because you're careful with Shmir Salashan, but there will be something in your heart, in your head, some little move you make to puzzle that person. And if there's someone lower, then you're, you're safe. I'm safe. You can even watch the way you socialize this Shabbos. 
you know, let's make a pact that everyone who's in this year, that we're going to walk around Shabbos Kerftuni. Well, it'll just be us, but it'll go viral in the whole group because, like, there's, there's another, like, you know, 600 people coming. So, meaning they're maybe in another shear right now or they're on their way. We're going to make it go viral in Shabbos Kerftuni that this group is going to mamish see Nishamas the whole entire Shabbos, which makes us all perfectly equal. Because we're all chaylik in the coming mile. And at the root of our neshuma is called a yechida, not by coincidence. It's because we're together. Yechida, echad. We're all one in the, in the highest level of our neshuma. Yechida. And so we're all, let's say we're going to make it our little pact from this year. That we'll see neshumas. And you want to know what happens when someone sees you as, you're, as a neshuma? Listen carefully. I, I hate to do this because I'm about to bribe everybody. Here comes the bribe. Tell me, when you meet that rare occasion, you meet someone who sees you as your neshuma, how do you feel about that person? Like them or dislike them? What? You like them. You love them. Those are your favorite people. Why do you think everyone loves Yontem? <laughs> Watch what happens over the Shabbos. Everyone, everyone loves me. It's not because I'm so lovable. It's because I love you. Listen carefully. I'm not that lovable. I, I, I'm working very hard on myself over the years. I can, be, I can punch someone's lights out. Or I can give a hug. But it's going to be based mida bemida. My kids say that I beat up someone on Purim on the average of once every three years. So I decided to talk a lot about that Erev Purim this year because I didn't want it to be like exactly every three years. This year was the third year and I didn't beat anybody up, which was amazing. You know, once in a while on Purim, you've got to beat someone up. You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> or maybe you're the guy who gets beat up once every three years on Purim. You know? Thank you. The reason is simply because I love you. I'm sorry to use the word love, by the way, if you're from Williamsburg. Okay. My apologies. Ani ohev ocha. There's this whole mach locus with the word love. So, what happened was, uh, I can explain the background. You know the history of the word love in Williamsburg? You know that? I'll, I'll explain the background. So, um, what happened was, there's. Uh, there's something that happens psychologically. I'm going to do this fast. There's something that happens psychologically to someone who's suffering, and it's called in psychology. It's called disassociation. You stop associating with yourself. We've all done it. We've all done it. If you're stuck in an airplane, the AC went off, and it's not taking off, and there's some problem, and you're just sitting there. After a while, you just kind of disassociate, or you're in a really uncomfortable chair, or you're sitting between two obese people, or. You just disassociate till you get to Eretz It's called disassociate. It could be women in childbirth going, childbirth going to disassociate. It's the human nature. Any emergency, we go into disassociating. It's actually a dangerous place to be sometimes because part of PTSD is that they were so disassociated while the trauma was happening that it gets locked in a place that's not so easy to bring back because to get back to it means you've got to associate with something you were not associated with. So it's one of the reasons it locks in so badly, PTSD. 
It's human nature to distance yourself from yourself. Now, can someone mention a recent, very difficult struggle, torture, hellhole in the last century? Yeah, it's called the Shoah. And you should know that if any of you ever thought you knew what happened over there, you should know, because someone did share, they didn't share. They didn't share. None of us know the hell they went through. And the only way to get out of there, the only way to survive day after hour after minute after minute, was to disassociate. You had to separate. You had to just get through as the body had to make it. Just, your body, forget you. And what happened was, those who survived, they moved to Brooklyn. Now, there's plenty of survivors who moved away altogether, but the ones who said, we're going to show that, we're going to show those Nazi bastards, and we're going to rebuild Yiddishkeit. And they laid down the bricks of the Yiddishkeit that is thriving today, that we're all in here in this hotel right now. These heroes. But the problem is, is when you take away the eye from years of suffering, horrible suffering, suffering will never know what it was. When you take away the eye over a long period of time, for many people, and especially in the formative years of the eye, many of them were very young, in the formative years of the eye, when you take the eye out of yourself, so then there is no self. You see, if you don't have an I, you can't have an I love you. And whenever we have something dysfunctional, and is that sound functional or dysfunctional to be disassociated? Functional or dysfunctional? It's dysfunctional. Human beings are famous for building hushkafa around dysfunction. We always do it. We all, I do it too. We all do it. Anywhere we're dysfunctional, we will create a hushkafa that it somehow fits in of why we're like this. We always create a scuff around dysfunction, and, and that's what we did. Created this, we created a, you know, a couple things. Another one, they'll say, like, they'll take the gorgeous word of nish-ich, like there's no I, which is, like, meaning there's only I, what we were talking about, but they'll turn what they went through in the war to... Now we're going to use it. Meaning we're going to create that as the hushkafa. And we're going to stop saying, I love you. In fact, the word love is try. And the only reason I bring it up here right now is because, to let you all know, that there are certain things we stop doing. Meaning there are certain things we stop doing. For example, I don't know if you know that we used to pray on our knees. And we don't anymore, except for Yom Kippur. There's a point where we go on our knees to Rosh Hashanah. We bow down. First knees, that's clear, but not clear. It's knees. You're praying on your knees. But in the base of Vigash, you didn't wear mamish on their knees. Sometimes they're fully shtatavaya. Sometimes they're on their knees. But because the, the, the Christians took on to pray on their knees, because they took so much from temple service, one of them was praying on their knees. We don't pray on our knees. Kalal. We don't pray on our knees.
But, I mean, that's a lot to give up because I don't know what it's like. I don't pray on my knees, but I imagine that we, we lost something there. I mean, there's a, that's serious humility. The word berach is the word bracha. It's the knees. is bracha. Bracha is berach. It's to lower, to humble, to, to nullify yourself before God is to be on your knees. And we've lost something there. But love is not for sale. We're not letting love go because because it's because uh, they put hearts on some you know not near store. Love's not for sale because if you think about it, everyone take a moment right now and think about it. It's your most important need, and how well you are doing right now psychologically in two thousand and eighteen right now. It's going to be based on how much you got. It's not available. It's not negotiable. How well you're doing right now is how much love you got. And it is incumbent upon all of us to do what we, what we like to call love bombing, <laughs> is to love bomb our kids. We're going to love among our kids. I still meet kids. I still meet kids to them. We, you know, I work, I'm with a lot of Chassidish Bachman and stuff in Yerushalayim. They all come to me. Every, Bruchim, it's so much better now, but every once in a while, I will touch a Bachar. You know, I just put my arm around his arm and just give some Chiba. And he jumped. He jumped. So it's really an amazing place to be, to be in the Jishuma. And I'm going to see the soul throughout the Shabbos. That's what I'm going to see. I'm going to see the soul. Everyone please say, see the soul. Everyone say, see the soul. 
Again, see the soul. This Shabbos, we're going to see the soul of the people. Not get caught up and believe me, not so much the guys, because we're like, and we go to, guys are more Hamish, but the ladies, like, you'll see, you'll have, like, you'll have that first reaction of, like, where am I holding against this lady here? And you'll just say, see the soul. Everyone say, see the soul? Just see the soul. This is all just wrappings. It's wrappings. I think one of the most beautiful things in Judaism and Yiddishkeit that we have over the rest of the world is that the, is that the beggar and the billionaire are next to each other in shops. It's the best. I done it in Queens this morning, so I couldn't tell who were the Schnorrers and who were the Queens guys, meaning who was there to raise money and who was there to daven, because we're all davening together. Now, once we put our talus to fill in away, it got really clear who was fundraising and who was trying to get out as quickly as he could. But we managed to daven together. We managed to daven together. We sit the same Shabbos things together. We go to the same tish together. And all of that is a symbol of seeing the soul. See the soul. See your soul. See your children's souls. You want your kids to do well in in chinuch? See the soul. See the soul. Don't pay attention to all the wrappings. See the soul. And therefore, this Shabbos is going to be particularly awesome because we're going to be in see the soul world for this entire Shabbos. I'm just doing a quick time check. No, no. I have a tendency to go on forever, so like this year I'm starting to like work on that. Uh, five to, oh, 5.45. It's 5.45. Um, ladies, gentlemen, I bless us all with Mamish Shabbos with the mind this week, and may we all see the soul. Shabbos. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.